There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We are doing a all these messages about the but gods of the Bible. And what's unique about doing a series like this is that you hit on so many different topics and so many different issues you deal with week in and week out. You never know what you'll be dealing with. And last week we dealt with God's love. God commendeth His love toward us. And now I want you to talk, I want to talk to you today about our service to God, of being used by God. Let's all stand. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we'll start reading at verse number 25. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 25. Listen to what verse 25 says. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. Notice verse 27 again. But God, there's our but God, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You can be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about how God interrupts our uselessness. Uh, I'm sure uh, uh, you maybe, I don't know about you, but I've been called pretty useless from time to time. But, how, but here we find in this text that God interrupts our uselessness to make us useful for His kingdom and His glory. If uh, Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You that You do give us one day at a time to live. God, it's impossible for me to live tomorrow, today. And God, I'm so thankful for that. As You told the Israelites, You gave them strength for the day. God, I pray that you would impart that strength uh, uh, to us each day, uh, each day that we live our lives. God, I pray that as we, uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we have a desire. We want to serve you, Father. And God, I pray that you would uh, give us uh, clues on how to know uh, uh, that we can be used by you, Father. I pray that you'd take this Word of God, this Scripture, that you'd make it come alive in our hearts so that day by day we can be used for not ourselves, not for our gain, but for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You know, I heard about a, a discouraged preacher one time, and they're not hard to find. A discouraged preacher come home after a, a night's meeting and come to his wife, and, and it's just all, all about quitting the ministry. 
He said, Monday morning, it's over. I'm quitting. And she, she wondered, why? why in the world would you say such a thing? Why are you quitting the ministry? And the preacher said back, he said, I just feel so used. And the wife clicked, quickly replied, well, you've been praying to be used for years. <laughs> you see, I know where the preacher's coming from. You know what he's talking about, about being used by people. How many of you ever been used by somebody? Somebody used you to try to get what they want? I, 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 I've been on both the receiving and the giving end of that. Amen. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. But the truth be known, we may not want to be used by other people, but if you're a born-again child of God, if you know God as your Savior, like I was telling them in Sunday school, when you got up off your knees from coming to the Lord Jesus, He implants a desire in us to do something for God, to be used by God. Listen, if you're a child of God, you don't want to be used by other people, but you want to be used by God. I, I, I'm sure that we all want to be used by God. And, and if you're here today and you know Him as your Savior, there's that desire to do that. But the problem is that you look at yourself, you look at yourself and you say, how is that possible? How is it possible for God to lose me? Look, I don't have much talent. I don't have a lot of ability. I don't have a lot of personality. I, I can't sing. I can't teach. I can't preach. You look at yourself and you find out that you think to yourself, you may not be a candidate for God to use you. You may not have uh, any kind of usefulness. Well, God is a God that, that He shows us in this text that takes the useless and makes it useful. You see, every child of God can be used by God by understanding the criteria for usefulness that God gives us in this Word. He gives us three criteria, three things uh, uh, for which we must meet in order to be used by God. And so, if you want to be used by God, but you're a little in doubt about how God can do that, I want to show you from God's Word how you can be used by God. Number one, the first thing you got to realize is that the flesh that is rejected, the flesh that is rejected. Look at verse 26. He said, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. You see, there are certain realities that we must come to grips with. I never forget when I was in college, and listen, when I played in high school, Son, I was, the, I was the cat's meow when it come to basketball, buddy. I was head honcho. I mean, I played all the time. Uh, there wasn't a time where I wasn't uh, uh, playing on the basketball court. Matter of fact, my senior year, I don't think there was but a few minutes that I didn't play in every game the whole year long. But when I got to college, it was a rude awakening. You see, in college, I had to come to the reality that there were some people that were just gifted more than me. There were some people that were just flat taller than me, that were just faster than me, that were stronger than me, that were more talented than me. And I just had to come to grips no matter how hard I tried, how hard I worked, how hard I practiced. There were just certain, some things I just could not get beyond. And our world is the same way. Hey, NASA only takes the smartest. NASCAR only takes the fastest. Uh, the Miss America pageant only takes the prettiest. 
You see, the fleshly qualifications that find acceptance in the world are rejected when it comes to the work of God. Isn't that a hopeful thing for all of us? We may not be the fastest, the smartest, the one that has memorized the most of the Bible or the, the highest learned in the room, but that doesn't disqualify us from being used of God. Matter of fact, that qualifies. You see, the flesh is rejected by God. Notice, first of all, the ability of the flesh is rejected by God. Look at verse 26. For your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh. Not many wise after the flesh. The, the, the spe this speaks of the intellect, the wise, the intellectual ability, the high IQ. He's talking about those that from the world standard, uh, they've gained the Ph.D., they're at the front of the class. They've got the best grades. Uh, they got the most knowledge. These uh, that have, have great learning and ability. Well, God is saying that you don't have to have a PhD from Harvard to be used by God. Because what He says in here is that not, maybe not, not any wise. I mean, there's some wise men. Listen, I love Dr. Ravi Zacharias. I love to listen to him. He is amazingly brilliant. He is a philosopher and he is a, 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 a preacher that is just amazing to listen to. He is so smart. But listen, I don't have to be Ravi Zacharias. I don't have to be a philosopher. I don't have to have a PhD for God to use me. You see, God's not saying... Uh, that we uh, need not seek out an education. God doesn't want us to revel in ignorance. We ought to get an education. You, you older children, you, you teenagers, you need to seek out all the education you can get. Don't say, well, if I learn so much, God won't use me. That's not what God is saying at all. He said by, by the use of the flesh and fleshly knowledge that He, he can't use us. Yeah, I remember this one time, this fellow praying, Lord, I thank Thee that I'm ignorant. And somebody was overheard to say, boy, he sure got a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't want you to stay in ignorance. God wants us to be growing and continuing forth in the knowledge of Him. We ought to study the Word of God. We ought to learn of the Bible. We ought to come closer to God in our knowledge of God. But understand that the abilities that we possess do not qualify us for usefulness to God. You see, if your thinking is this, boy, I tell you what, I've been raised in church all my life. I know this church stuff, and I tell you what, I, God is just shaping me, and He's going to use me. He may very well do it, but it won't be because of your knowledge. It won't be because of your Bible grip, okay? It'll be out of His mercy and love towards us. So the ability of the flesh is disqualified. Not only that, the admiration of the flesh. Look at what he's saying. Not many wise after the flesh. And then he goes on to say, not many mighty. The word mighty talks about powerful or capable or strong. These are those that are admired by society. These are the, uh, are the warrior, the athlete, the, uh, the, the corporate executive, those that are looked up to by society, the congressman, the senator. These are the ones that society in the flesh looks up after. But God says, listen, I'm not looking for those of high prestige. Uh, you don't have to be a senator to be used by God. You don't have to be the president. You don't have to be a great athlete. And you know, I've often heard preachers say, and I get annoyed with it, but I don't stop them. Uh, I've often heard uh, people uh, say that 
Boy, I tell you what, he is a talented young man. And if, if he would just really give his life to the Lord, well then, man, he could really be used by God. Or they look at some athlete. Boy, if that athlete could really get on fire for God, they could be really used by God. Well, that's not what the Bible said. It's not many mighty. It's not many noble. It's not many wise that are chosen and used of God. God could use the pauper on the corner that surrenders his life to the Lord Jesus just as much as he could use a well-known athlete to reach the kingdom of God. You see, it doesn't mean uh, that we have to be particularly capable or particularly strong. Um, listen, but that strength and ability and admirable status that some people have in this world does not qualify that person for God's service, all right? Get these qualifications out of your mind. You don't have to be extremely wise. You don't have to be in an extremely admirable position to be used by God. Thirdly, the ancestry of the flesh. Notice what also he says, not many wise, not many mighty. But then in the latter part of the verse, not many noble are called. The word noble means well-born or of high rank. You see, he's referring to those that are from, by virtue of their ancestry, gain some sort of status or some sort of position. Now, if you're wanting to be the king or queen of England, it all matters what family you're born in. <laughs> if you're wanting to be one of the Kennedys or a Rockefeller, it all matters on what your last name is. You see, and it all matters of what pedigree you are. But when it comes to usefulness for God, it doesn't matter if your family came on the Mayflower or your family came on a slave ship or your family came out of the woods to greet both of them. It doesn't matter what family you're from. It doesn't matter your pedigree when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to be, being used mightily by God. Just because your name is, is uh, Rogers after Adrian Rogers or, or just because your name is uh, Graham does not automatically mean that you'll be used mightily by God. <laughs> you see, it doesn't come in your lineage. It doesn't come with your position. It doesn't come with your intelligence. Those are all things that actually disqualify someone that leave them less apt to be used. I read about one particular lady in England. She was a socialite, a high society lady of a royal family. But she got saved by the grace of God. And she would often give her testimony by saying, I was saved by the letter M. And she would refer to this text. The text doesn't say in verse number 26 how that not any wise after the flesh, not any mighty, not any noble are called. Or she'd have been disqualified. Thank God. I praise God for senators that will take a stand for God. I praise God for athletes and people in the spotlight of society that will step forth and take a stand for God. I, I'm, I'm grateful to great intellects and, and high minds of higher learning that will take a stand and be in the spotlight for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that does not qualify them to be used by God. You're just as qualified as they are to be used by God. You see, we find that the flesh is rejected. If your qualification comes from your flesh, then you're rejected by being used for use for, use for God. Not only the flesh that is rejected, but notice the flock that is selected. Look at verse 27. He turns the corner. 
He begins to interrupt the uselessness of all of us because I dare say uh, most of us in here today don't have a fine pedigree. We're not, we don't have royal blood other than the blood of Jesus running through our veins. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that very many well-educated people in this room tonight. You're looking at one of the least ones right here. You don't have uh, many people of renown or many people of might. So pretty much that disqualifies us if it comes by the flesh. But Paul interrupts our uselessness, interrupts God's ability or God, our so-called God's ability not to use us by saying, hey, I can take that which looks useless and use it for my honor and for my glory. You see, if you're looking for a job, it's good to, and, and helpful thing to find out what the employer is looking for. You've been perusing the internet and you try to, I, I like to go to those sites so that say, what, what does an employer look for in a in an interview, you know, you should sit up straight or you should shake a firm handshake or you should have a certain type of resume. Those are things that are being looked for by an employer for a job. What is God looking for? What is his criteria for those? We know what's not the criteria, but what is the criteria? Well, I want you to see in these verses, first of all, we need to make sure we know in verse 26, he said that for your calling, brethren, brethren, He's talking to those that are in the same family. He's not talking about those that are outside the family of God. They cannot glorify God. The best they could do and the most righteous they could be is filthy rags before God. He's talking about brethren. He's talking about those that, may, that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, not those that are outside of Jesus Christ. So I want to make that clear. He is looking for children of God. But what is He looking for inside these children of God? Well, look at verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things, uh, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The word foolish here is the same word we get our word moron from. Moros. Moron. We get moron from this word foolish. God uses morons, what author said, to put to shame the world's wisdom. That's exactly what God does. God takes morons. God takes imbeciles. God takes unlearned men and, and, does it, and sets them before the world and puts to shame the wisdom of men. I think about when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin after raising the, the, the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. They, he stood flat-footed, preached Jesus to those men, said that the stone which was set at naught is the chief cornerstone. And there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. All the Sanhedrin took a step back. And they said, these are unlearned, uneducated men. Yet they have been with Jesus. That makes all the difference. Unlearned, uneducated, and yet God used the moron. God used those that are simpletons to confound the world. You think about Amos. Amos in the Old Testament, the prophet Amos. I love Amos. You realize Amos, God brought him off the farm. God brought him off the farm and made him a prophet, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Amos was a fruit picker. Amos was a shepherd. Amos was an old plowboy that God called out of the country and put him in Jerusalem preaching God's Word and is in the infallible Word of God to this day. Amos was a man. D.L. Moody. You know D.L. Moody was a man that was a very, very little education, very uneducated. It is said that he murdered the king's English when he would try to preach. 
Someone, at, someone who heard him said he was the only man he had ever heard that could say Mesopotamia in two syllables. And I tried it several times in my office. I can't do it. But evidently, Moody was so ignorant and so unlearned that he could say it once in two syllables. Yet God took him. He used him to shake two continents for Jesus Christ and his ministry and work lives on to this very day. You see, God can use anybody. God uses the unlearned or the uneducated. Not only that, He's also, He has selected the unable. Look at what He said. God has chosen the fools of things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The word weak here refers to physically weak or even so much as handicapped. Those who are physically frail or infirm. I'm reminded about old Fanny Crosby. One of, I think, believe one of the songs that, that we sang today, I, had to, I believe it was one of the songs we sang today, had to do with old Fanny Crosby. She was a poet. Fanny Crosby on her grave in, in Connecticut, on the, the tombstone of her grave. It is embroidered, it is engraved there. Aunt Fanny, she had done what she could. Fanny Crosby was blind from six weeks of age because of mistreatment by a man that claimed to be a doctor. She was used by God to write more than 9,000 hymns, of which are blessed assurance, all the way my Savior leads me. I'm thine, O Lord. A Jesus, keep me near the cross. Praise Him, praise Him. Rescue the perishing. To God be the glory. Tell me the story of Jesus. God used her to write all those songs. Although she was blind, she was the guest of six presidents and a personal friend of President Grover Cleveland. Her 9,000 hymns were set to music in, by every popular American tunesmith of the 19th century and still blesses church, the church of Jesus Christ to this very day. God uses the weak. Oh, that's, that's, that's so encouraging to folks here that are older and up in years. You know, God still uses you, Miss Lucille, Miss Brown. God still uses you. God still uses you mightily in people's lives. God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. I've often talked to uh, grandmas in the, uh, the weak and frail in body, and I've often looked upon them, and in spirit, they probably look like gigantic linebackers because of their prayer, because of their dependence upon God. You see, don't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And our powerfulness, our usefulness in the kingdom of God is not delegated to our weakened frame. You see, He selected the uneducated. He selected the unable. Notice also, He selected the unimportant. Notice what He said. Uh, things uh, Verse 28, And base things of the world, things which are despised. That word based over there. It means of unknown descent. Remember we said earlier that God did not chose many noble. That means of a pedigree. That means of a knowable descent. Well, this is right the opposite. These are the unknown folks. These are folks that don't, don't come from great uh, family names. They're not notable. They're the opposite. The opposite of noble. They're common, unimportant. By the world's standard, uh, they, they're un, unimportant. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love common people because He made a whole lot of them. And that's the truth. Because God uses common people. God uses nobodies out of nowhere to, for His kingdom and for His glory. 
You may not be a person of influence and of great importance, but just uh, but that just qualified you for God's use. You may really say, well, Brother Ronnie, I'm a nobody. I, you know, I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to struggle, pay my bills, and, and support my family. I, I can't be used mildly by God. Wait a minute. You just qualified yourself. Amen. You're a nobody. You're a perfect candidate for God to use mightily in His, in his kingdom. You see, uh, you don't have to be a, great, a person of great importance for God. You think about Gideon. Gideon in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. He responded to God's call by saying he was the poorest his family was the poorest in Manasseh, and he was the least in his father's house. He said, God, I'm the bottom of the bottom. I'm a nobody. God says, you're the one I'm looking for. <laughs> you're the exactly candidate I'm looking for. And yet God used him to rock mighty victories in Israel, to become a judge in Israel. If you say you're a nobody, you're a candidate for God to use you. You see, you know, uh, he selected the uneducated. He selected the unable, the unimportant, the un, and then also the unwanted. He said in verse 28, the base things of the world and the things which are despised. Despised. This word here means contemptible or of least esteem. It means those that are absolutely unwanted by society. Those that are treated with contempt and scorn. These that a society tells you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. I thank God for my parents. I thank God that I have never been told I'll never amount to anything in this life. But no matter what, no matter if you were, no matter if your parents told you, you'll never amount to anything. God takes the unwanted, the rejected, uh, the, the despised of this world and uses them for His kingdom and for His glory. <laughs> Amen. Oh, listen, you're not counted out because everybody and their brother told you you won't amount to nothing. He selected the unwanted and then finally He selected the unnoticed. Look at what verse 28 goes on to say. He had chosen the, uh, the, which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That not here. These are those that refer to those that are completely overlooked. Completely overlooked. You won't find their name in the who's who book that goes out every year. My preacher said you won't even find them in the who's not <laughs> book that's passed around every year. Listen, these are the nobodies. These are, these are uh, the ones that, that are minimized by society, minimized by this world. They're the ones that bop along nameless faces that no one ever rec recognizes. Though you have not, though you've been minimized and, and um, though you've been minimized and dismissed and discounted by this world around you, there is a God in heaven that, uh, that does not call the qualified, but qualifies the called. You don't have to meet certain qualification. God will, call, God will qualify you if you'll just heed the invitation. I like what, what it says in, in verse number 26 here. That word called, not me, uh, for, uh, for you see your calling, that's an open invitation. That's an invitation. God is saying, I want to employ you in my kingdom. There's an invitation for you to be used by God. You see, and, and no matter what, if you respond to that in, invitation, no matter how the world would see, you'd be unqualified to preach 
or to sing or to go or to write or to do or to say, uh, no matter how unqualified the world says you are, God will qualify you and use you for His kingdom. You see, the flesh is rejected. The flock that is selected. And now finally, the focus that is directed. The focus that is directed. I heard a story about a girl this past week. A girl out, and I believe she's out in California. She made a perfect score on the SAT. Uh, uh, she went on from that to take the California College Entrance Exam and aced that. After that, they took and, and judged her IQ. Her IQ is off the charts. An interviewer came from a newspaper eager to talk to her. And with bated breath, he had one question to ask her. He said, ma'am, you're one of the smartest women in this generation. What's the meaning of life? This very well-learned, well-educated, brilliant young woman said, I really don't know. I wish I did. Oh, but the thing, the thing about it is, is that the, the, the homeless man that sits in the chapel service at the rescue mission can open up this Bible and find out that the meaning of life is to glorify God. It's to give praise and honor to Him with our lives. You see, God doesn't use those that are of higher learning necessarily in His kingdom. He wants us to give our focus to Him. You see, the focus is directed to Him. That's what verse number, uh, verse number 20, uh, 29 says. Why does God call the base and the unlearned and the unwise and the, the minimized? Why does God do that? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You see, the focus, the first of all, it is a focus away from ourselves. It's a focus away from ourselves. He said that no flesh would glory in His presence. You see, this is the danger to every pastor, preacher, evangelist, missionary, Sunday school teacher, deacon, bus worker, and every Christian is that we would gain glory for our flesh and not reflect glory to God. You see, he was pecking up. You ever, I, it reminds me of a lot like uh, this woodpecker uh, that I heard about. Woodpecker was out there pecking on a tree, trying to put a hole in that tree. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, lightning struck that tree, split it right down the middle. Obviously, the woodpecker flew off. A little while later, the woodpecker come back, had nine other woodpeckers following behind him and said, hey boys, there it is. <laughs> Like he was the one that split the tree. There's a lot of Christians that like that way. Look at the house that Dr. So-and-so built. Look at the class that Dr. That brother So-and-so built. Look at the church that So-and-so. Uh, I'm trying not to name any names here. You're going to use So-and-so so many times. But listen, uh, this is what I've done. This is what I'm... And they're what there are. They're a woodpecker looking at a, uh, at a tree that's been struck by lightning. It wasn't them that did that. If we accomplish anything from God, uh, anything for God, it is God doing it through us. You see, uh, the focus needs to be away from ourselves. Notice also, not only the focus away from ourselves, no flesh should glory, but, uh, the, but the focus uh, above on our Savior. A focus above on our Savior. He said no flesh should glory in His presence, in the presence of God. You see, when God takes a willing vessel and uses it mightily, 
for His glory. It's not for the admiration of the vessel. You know, when, uh, when Hank Aaron got up there, and I'm not going to use any of the ones these days because they're all drugged out, but when Hank Aaron went up there and hit that home run to break Babe Ruth's record, nobody ran up to the bat and said, Boy, what a bat. Man, that's a bat. What did they do? They went up to him, the hitter, <laughs> the power behind the bat. You see, that's all we are in God's hands. We're vessels in God's hands. We're, the, we're, we're not the one that should gain the attention. We're not the one that should gain the glory. He's the one that should get all the glory. Probably one of the greatest composers of all time, Johann Sebastian Bach. You know, one of the things that Johann Sebastian Bach, there was a mystery for many years, and what he would do, at the bottom of his compositions, he'd write this, S-D-G. And it was very much a mystery to all those around him what that means. Later on in his life, it was discovered that the letters stood for the Latin words, Solo Deo Gloria, which means this, to God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. Oh, I tell you what, may every message that I preach behind this pulpit have at the bottom of it, solo deo gloria. To God be the glory. May the life that you live every 24 hours when you reach the end of the day, may you put S-D-G, solo deo gloria. To God be the glory in our lives. If God uses you in the least little bit, if God uses me in the least little bit here at Gethsemane Baptist Church, it won't be for my glory. It won't be for my prestige. It'll be solo Deo Gloria. To God be the glory. In closing, I'm reminded of a poem I read several years ago. I heard preachers quote it several times, and now it's my turn. A poem about an old violin. Have you heard this one? It said, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while, but to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Now who'll make it two? Two dollars? And who'll make it three? Three dollars once? Three dollars twice? Going for three? But no. From the room, uh, from the, from the, uh, excuse me, from the room far back, a gray-haired man came toward and picked up the bow and wiped the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, the, uh, and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, What am I now bidding for the old violin? He had held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars. Who make it two? Two thousand. Who make it three? Three thousand once. Three thousand twice. And going and gone, he said. The crowd cheered, but some of them cried. We don't understand. We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? The man replied, the touch of the master's hand. And that's what it's all about in our Christian lives. No matter how dusty you are. No matter how out of tune with this world you are, all it takes is the touch of the Master's hand. And you can wrought sweet music for the kingdom of God in your life. Not many wise, not many mighty, and not many noble are called, but God has chosen 
the base things of this world to confound, of the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Thank God you don't have to meet educational standards. I wouldn't be your pastor. <laughs> Thank God you don't have to meet uh, uh, some kind of uh, 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 ancestral uh, pedigree to be in the family of God, to be used by God. No, 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 no. Not to say that they can't be used by God. But more often than not, God calls those of base backgrounds. God calls calls those that are minimized. God calls those that are least in the kingdom to be used for His glory. Why? So that nobody else gets the glory but God. Oh, listen, if Gethsemane Baptist Church becomes a great church, and let it be said, boy, I tell you what, it was because of some more of an educated man down there. Boy, I tell you what, it was because of some more of an education, uh, uh, an administration down there. That boy, I tell you, it wasn't because of anything of that. It was because God moved in among us. And God did something miraculous in, in among us today. Oh, that's what I'm praying for here at this place. I'm praying that God in His sweet time and in His sweet providence would meet us in such a miraculous and wonderful way that it'll transform this church. It'll redirect our church for His kingdom, His glory, so that none of us can go beating our chest and boy, look at what a good job we've done. But we'll know it'll only be because God was gracious and God swept through and God did something miraculous that we didn't deserve. Let's all stand as we come with a song of invitation. Listen, the prerequisite for being used by God, the very first one, is to be a member of His family. He said brethren. He said those that are my brother in Jesus Christ. Those that are my sisters in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the family of God. If you're here today without the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you're invited to repent and believe. You're not promised a place of prestige. You're not promised an easy life by coming to the Lord Jesus. You're promised safety from the wrath to come. Amen. And that's enough. That ought to be plenty to draw you crying to the cross of Calvary. But once there, the invitation is flung wide open no matter where you're from. No matter what your pedigree, no matter what your ed- educational status, you can be used by God. Teenager, child, you can be used by God. You let God have full sway in your life today. Maybe, maybe you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, need to come down to this altar, draw a line, of, uh, draw a line in the sand, and say, God, I will be used for your glory. I've made up enough excuses. I've put up enough roadblocks. Well, I can't do this. Well, I can't say this. Here, God, I'm an empty vessel. Place me in your hands. Use me any way you see fit. Oh, what a wonderful life it is to be used by God. What a gratifying thing it is to be where God wants you to be. To be doing what God called you to do. Why don't you come maybe here today. Draw a line in the sand and say, God, I want to be used by you. Qualify me. Make me usable. He will. He'll make you usable. I'm trusting to the unseen high. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand